this program is brought to you by my law office, Wills and Trust, LLC, where the only type of law we do is to prepare wills, trusts, power of attorneys, advanced medical directives. We look at deeds. We try to make sure that your deeds say what you want them to say, do what you want them to do, um, and make whatever changes will accomplish that. We help people in administering estates, doing probate, uh, as well as administer trust. So if you or someone you know needs a will or a trust or would like to find out about them, give us a call at 240-638-2828. That's 240-638-2828. And if we don't pick up immediately, be sure to leave us a message with your name, your telephone call number, and the reason for your call. If you'd like to schedule a consultation about these matters, the way we work is we send you a client information form if it's for your estate documents or if it's for administering the estate of someone who is deceased, we will send you a probate information form. Those forms are just to give us basic information, name, address, phone number, names of children, list of property, and what you want or what your desires are or what your concerns are with respect to yourself and the distribution of your property. When they're completed, you can either mail them by postal mail back to the office. For those of you who are not computer savvy, we definitely do things like that. And, uh, or you can send me an email and I'll send you a link to a secure portal that you can return the documents through. Then we will schedule a video conference when we can talk about a consultation that's really quite detailed and specific, where we talk about what you want, what your concerns are, and I can usually make recommendations as after that consultation or during that consultation as to what the alternatives are in terms of how to accomplish your objectives, i.e., will a will, power of attorney, medical directive be sufficient? Would a trust be indicated? Not everybody needs a trust. And you don't ever have to have a trust. You know, will might be sufficient if that's what you want. And I'll explain how that would work and what would happen at the time of your death if you go either way. And then once that is done, once that decision is made, we send an engagement letter that can be signed by DocuSign, a link for retainer deposit, and we get started doing the drafts of your documents. When the documents, the first drafts are done, another video conference is scheduled, and we put the documents on the screen. We go through them and with you, the most important parts. A lot of times I leave blanks in the documents where you can insert if you want to give gifts to your church, your charity, your you know particular people, uh, nieces, nephews, godchildren, and so on like that. If you don't, we just take it out. You know, if you told me there's some things that you are concerned about, maybe you want a trust and you're not quite sure how you want to do it, I will often put in different scenarios for you to review. We'll talk about them, we'll discuss them, 
And then at the end of that meeting, I will send them to you, the actual documents, by usually by email. You know, if you don't use email, then I'll send them to you by postal mail. Give you a couple of weeks to go over them together. Uh, if you're married with each other, with your children, if you have adult children who you're, you're involving in this process, and then we schedule another meeting to go through them again, to see what your concerns are, to make sure that we've done them correctly, to make any changes, take out things that may not be appropriate, double-check the spellings of names and, and persons and addresses and so forth like that. And quite often at the end of that meeting, we're ready to sign. And then schedule a time for you to come to the office to sign. If, however, you need more time, then we give you more time until you're, you are satisfied. I personally like people to know what's in their documents. doesn't mean that you have to know and understand every word, every paragraph, or anything like that, because, of course, there's boilerplate language like all lawyers use. But the specifics of how it works, who's in charge, who gets what and when, I'd like for you to be sure about it and for you to know what it says and be comfortable that that's going to work for you. And then we schedule a time for you to come in and execute the documents. If we need to do deeds, we do the actual deeds while we're doing the documents. If you have a trust and you have a home and you want to put that home into the trust to avoid probate, I will actually do the deeds for that. And we'll sign them at the same time. I'll notarize them. My staff will be the witnesses. And then we will record them. If the deeds are for properties in other states, then we may have to get a lawyer in that state to assist us with that part of the process. I also, if, if, if appropriate, prepare letters to your homeowner's insurance, uh, to your banks, you know, instructing them that you've made you've created your trust. This is when you have a trust and you want to put these um, properties into the trust. Um, so we really try to be as thorough as possible with everyone. Um, we also do a big three ring binder that we give you your original documents and a copy of each of those documents, <coughs> including a copy of the deeds. We will record the deeds and send the recorded deeds back to you, um, but a copy of everything is in your book. If you have adult children who are going to be co-trustees or who are working with you and you're quite likely not to change your mind, then if you would like, we will do a book for them with copies of all your documents as well. So that's how we work. That's generally how we work. So give us a call at 240-638-2828 so we can get started with your documents. It does take time, but we have to start, and um, uh, we'll be glad to work with you. We really will. And a lot of times people are not quite sure how to do things or how to structure things or how to satisfy different parts of your family. Um, how to take care of children who may be difficult, shall we say. Uh, it's not unusual that every family 
may have some dissension in it, major or not major, it doesn't matter really, but let's talk about it. Uh, if you have a child, for example, maybe you have three children and two are really responsible adults. Um, they may already be married with their own families or not married with or without families, but one child may have a problem. He or she may be not good with money. They're expensive. They spend every dime they get. Or maybe they're married to someone who will do that. And you know if you leave them your house or your money or whatever, it's going to get gone. It's going to be spent, you know, within a year of you dying. And you spent your entire life accumulating all of this. Or perhaps one child has a drinking problem, a drug problem. I've done trust for people that have uh, children who are in jail for a long time. Uh, I'll never forget, I did one for a lady whose son was in jail and had been for a while, and she wasn't sure when or if he would come out of jail. And this was her only child. But she loved him, and she wanted to make sure that if he did come out, he would benefit from her estate. And so the trust provided that if and when he was released from jail, a relative who was closer in age to him, and, and she was deceased, um, a certain portion of her estate was would be uh, handed in trust. Remember, trust create baby trust, so to speak, or sub-trust is a better word for it. So her trust provided that when she died, a fairly large percentage of her estate would be distributed in trust to a relative who this young man who was in jail had a great deal of respect for. And this relative would continue to invest and reinvest this money and hold it for the benefit of this young man who was in jail. And when he came out of jail, this relative, I think it was an uncle, I don't remember exactly because it's been some years now, but this uncle or whoever was a trustee was tasked with helping him get on his feet. Because a lot of people coming out of jail have absolutely no money, no job, nowhere to live. It's really difficult to get on your feet once you come out of jail. So this lady provided that this uncle, who was the trustee for her son, if when she was dead and gone, this man was holding this money for her son. He was to meet him, uh, help him find a place to live, pay the rent on the apartment where he was living, give him money for clothing or a car, uh, and help him to get training if he needed counseling, if he wanted to learn uh, computer skills, if he wanted to go to college, whatever it was that he wanted to do that was productive and was leading toward him becoming a self-sufficient person, that he, this money from his mother was there for him. And, but the uncle was told very clearly, Although he was to do these things and to give him money to 
live off of for a period of time if he violated parole, if he had to go back into jail, if he uh, became subject to drug addiction or anything like that. The uncle had the choice of cutting him off, okay? Or, or if it was, you know, he, he had a great deal of discretion because he knew that he loved the boy too uh, and that it might be difficult for him getting back on his feet. But if he did make it after a certain period of time and that it might be difficult for him getting back on his feet. But if he did make it, after a certain period of time, I think it was like three years or something, if he had gotten to the place where he was financially self-sufficient, he was at least he was working, he was stable, uh, he was making his way in the world, so to speak, in spite of his prison record, then this, the rest of the money, or at least in percentages, I think it was like 20% of what she was leaving for him. And she was leaving a couple hundred thousand dollars. Okay, was was to be paid to him. But if he was ready to buy a house, the money from the trust was to be used to help him purchase a house. Uh, if he was ready to go to college or whatever, the money from the trust was to help him with that. And after I think it was five years, he would get all of it. So that's just an example of how a trust can be used to provide much-needed financial support and security for a loved one who may have a difficult road to follow, how a parent can provide, make those provisions for them, even after they're dead and gone. And likewise, if you have minor children and you have property and you have money and you have life insurance and you have savings and so on, you can make those same kinds of provisions. You can say in your trust, I want you to use the money from the insurance to pay off the mortgage. I want you to use, you know, you say, when I die, and all this is happening after the parent is dead and gone, but you are still providing for your loved one. And this loved one can be your spouse. It can be your child. It can be your grandchild, grandmother, your grandmother father if they need it. It can be niece, nephew, uh, whoever it is that you want. So give us a call at Wills and Trust at 240-638-2828 so that we can prepare these kinds of documents for you. Give me a call now while I'm on the air at one 800 Four five zero seven eight seven six one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six. Call early. Call now while I'm able to um, answer your questions, and I have some time to try and explain, you know, the basis of whatever answer I'm giving you, and I won't be rushed at the end. So if you have some questions, if you have questions about wills, about deeds, about trust, when you use a trust, how does it work, probate, court, now's a good time to call 1-800-450-7876. Because law is truly powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you, but you got to use the law. It impacts everything that you do. What you don't know about the law can hurt you. 
and what you do know about the law and what you use the law, and especially in this area of the law, got to have it in writing. It, it, it doesn't work if you don't put your, your wishes, your desires in writing in a way that can be enforced. What you do know and what you do do will definitely empower you and your gener- for generations to come. So my aim each week with this radio program is to empower you and to inform you. I want to remind you also that voting is powerful. It determines what kind of government we have. It determines where your tax money goes. Voting selects the persons who select the police chief, the mayors, the, the, the tax laws, the zoning laws. And I want to encourage many of you who are retired to get involved with organizations in your communities, the school boards, get involved with zoning commissions, get involved with uh, so much, so much has to do with what happens in your community. And a lot of you are educated. You have a lot of practical experience. You have a lot of hands-on experience from the work that you've done. Many of you know how the government works. So get involved, please, so that we can have people looking out for our communities and for our children and for yourself, for yourself, okay? So use the power of the vote and vote every time you have a chance. A huge voting opportunity is coming up this year in November. Get out and vote. Make sure all of your children who are adults and capable of voting get out and vote. And I know they're trying to stop it, but don't let it happen. Get your, your churches and your organizations organized to make sure People get out and vote. Take buses to the vote. Whatever it takes, just do it. It's very, very important. And we need to show that we are a force to be reckoned with at all times, not just during the presidential elections when there's somebody we may want, or not just when we know how bad another situation can get. Do it all the time consistently. And that kind of power will be recognized and will make a big difference, okay? You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I welcome everyone from wherever it is that you are listening, whether it's Tennessee, New York, South Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, wherever. Call in if you have questions, please, please, 1-800-450-7876. Remember, however, that what you hear on the program is for information purposes only. There's no attorney-client relationship established by anything said on the program, anything on the websites. Please go to and use the podcast. The podcasts are available by the same name, Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. It's available 24-7. You can listen to it at any time. Tell your friends. To go there and listen. There's a lot of good stuff there. We're posting more and new stuff all the time. I've been doing this show for eight years now. And so please make sure that you take advantage of this and listen and learn and then do. Um, this week, 
I thought I would focus in and try to give you some practical tips, some real down-to-earth tips on things that you should do, how you should do them, because it can make a difference for your family and for yourself, okay? Uh, You hear me say every week that everybody needs to have three primary documents. Everybody needs to have a last will and testament, a power of attorney, and an advanced medical directive. A last will and testament, a power of attorney, and advanced medical directives. The power of attorney takes care of who takes care of your legal and financial matters. In other words, who can sign your check, pay your bills, uh, talk to the mortgage company, credit card companies, anything legal that may come up if, God forbid, you become incapacitated. If you get COVID and go in the hospital, your light bill still has to get paid. Your mortgage, if you have one, still has to be paid. Somebody needs to be able to have access to your bank account to make sure that those things are done. If you get sick and go in the hospital, have a car accident, a stroke, a heart attack, whatever, somebody needs to be able to talk to the doctor about your medical care. Somebody needs to be able to say yay or nay to the treatment that they may offer. Somebody needs to be able to say, yes, this is going to be a good place for you to be if you need rehabilitation. Somebody has to be authorized in writing for the doctors to share private information. Your health information is private, and you have to affirmatively, in writing, say, I authorize the doctors to talk to you. And you have to do this even if you're married or your spouse, your child, your grandmother, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, Each person has to give permission in writing to the hospital, to the doctors, to talk to someone else. It's called the HIPAA powers. It's also wise for you to say, what do you want to have happen if you are about to die? If they find that you're in a vegetative state, what do you want to have happen? And that's a very personal decision. You know, some people say, just keep me comfortable, you know, keep me out of pain, uh, but don't don't intubate me, don't resuscitate me, don't do any of those things. Just keep me comfortable and allow natural death to occur. Some people say, I don't even want a feeding tube. Other people say, I do want a feeding tube. And then other people say, like a minister said to me, who's a client this week, He said, Ethel, I have seen miracles happen. I have seen people come back from what you thought they had to die. And so I always want them to do everything they can to keep me alive. And I said, fine, I respect that. That's your choice. You're going to put that choice down in writing. And that way, whoever you say, whether it's your wife, your child, your brother, whoever your agent is, they know that they are following exactly what you want. 
the other hand, I had another client say to me just this week, Ms. Mitchell, I work in a hospital. I don't want them doing all the different things to me. I just want to be comfortable and let me go. That's what I want. And I said, okay. And we had that in writing. And she signed off on it. She initialed it. And so said, so done. Those are really important decisions that you want to make in writing so that if that time comes, the person who you have given the duty and responsibility to look after you, to care for you, know what your wishes are, and they know what you have said and whether you're giving them flexibility in applying them or not. Because you also get the chance to say, I'm going to give you flexibility, or regardless, you have to do exactly what I said. So that's the power of attorney and the medical directive. And those are important documents that you have to sign, but they're only effective, of course, while you are alive. I've got to go to break. When I come back from break, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the will, and then I want to get into talking about the kinds of practical things that you can do to help your family be able to locate and find and use the things that you need them to be able to do when you need them or as you need them. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. Uh, call me now while I'm on the air at one 800 450 You have a question, call and ask it. I'm sure somebody else is wondering the same thing. There are no dumb questions, so please feel free to call me while I'm on the air. And if you want us to work with you to help do your documents, call us at one, I'm sorry, 240-638-2828. I understand there is a caller on the line. Uh, hello? You're on the air. How can I help you? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello. Yes, yes, yes. Hi, You're on I the air. I'm good. Thank you. Yes. I hear your show frequently. And Thank you. Uh, trust. The importance mm-hmm. of trust. So I was listening to a podcast, and the attorney that was conducting the podcast said that it's more beneficial to go through probate because your, your beneficiary will uh, take advantage of the stepped-up basis of your property. So now I'm totally confused. You get a step-up in basis whether you go through probate or you go through uh, a trust. Uh, that I, 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 Well, I don't know the podcast that you were listening to. Step-up in basis, let me explain what it is and how it works. Step-up in basis on the current law is an automatic process that happens when you die. And let me explain. Let's say your parents or you bought a house 10 years ago for $50,000, okay? And that house Mm -hmm. is now worth $300,000. And you want your children to get that house or your child. Let's keep it simple. So you don't want to give the house to them while you're alive because when you give the house, to them, you give someone your basis. Your basis 
is what you bought it for. There are some, you know, small little ways in which you can increase your bases by major repairs and so on, but I I'm, I'm, I'm want to keep this simple, okay, and straightforward. Your accountant has to work with you to do that. The basis is usually the cost of what you bought it for. So you paid $50,000, and the way Uncle Sam looks at it, you paid $50,000 for an asset that grew to be worth $300,000, okay? So when you die, it's now worth $300,000. Your basis is $50,000, and it has grown to be $300,000. There's a specific tax law that says when you die, you get or your family gets or whoever it is that gets the house gets a step up in basis to the value that it is when you die. So now instead of their basis being 50000 it steps up, and that's the term that's used, it's stepped up to 300000 And what that means is, let's say you, you're, you're, you have one child, we'll keep it simple, and that child is going to get your house. They are now getting the house at the stepped-up basis of $300,000, which means if they sell it, they're not going to have to pay capital gains tax on the difference between the $50,000 and the $300,000. You get that basis, or your family, whoever it is getting the house, gets that basis because you died. It doesn't matter whether it's in a probate you know, you have to go through probate to get the house, whether you do it through a trust, you know, transfer on death trust or whatever. The base, the step up in basis happens because you died. And okay. that's true for stocks and bonds and all kinds of stuff like that, too, by the way. Okay. So that, okay. I, I'm not sure what, what you heard, but that's how that works. And just, and let me finish the explanation if you decide, like some people do, that, well, I'm just going to ignore all the, what the lawyer says, and I'm just going to give my house to my child while I'm alive, you know, and so they go and they get a deed of gift, and they give the house to the, the child while they're alive, they just gave that child their $50,000 basis in the example that I gave you. And so when the child gets ready to, and I keep saying child, I'm talking about adults, of course, okay, but let's say when, when the mother or the father dies, and now the child has the house in their name already. When they go to sell it, they're going to pay capital gains on the difference between 50000 and 300000 Because when you gift your house to somebody, you gift them your basis. And Uncle Sam wants the capital gains. See, the 50000 is capital, and it gains $250,000 in my example. And therefore, Uncle Sam wants up to 20% of that in taxes. That's what you avoid when you wait and get the step up in basis, when you wait to get the property when you die. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. You're quite welcome. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. If you have questions, this is a good time to call 1-800-800. Four five zero seven eight seven six. If you want us to help you with your uh, doing your estate documents, call us at the office at two four zero six three eight two eight two eight. 
I thought I would say today or give you some ideas today about the things that you need to put together in one place. I personally and professionally like using three ring binders with plastic sleeves in them. Staples has these plastic sleeves that have the three holes in them, and you can put individual pieces of paper or, you know, large amounts of paper, you know, like a whole will, a whole trust or whatever, in the sleeve. They're protected, and yet they're right there, and they're easily available. Some people put their documents in a box, you know, or shoe boxes or whatever. But I want to I, – I made a list today of the kinds of things I strongly recommend that you put together where your family or whoever it is, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, spouse, child, niece, nephew, it doesn't matter. These are important documents that you need to have available <clears throat> when you die. This is the kind of thing that people need to know. Your last will and testament, if you have a will, you need to tell your personal representative where the original will is and how to get it. You may want to give your personal representative a copy of the will. Now, I tend to not Recommend that if you're relatively young and in good health, okay, because you might change your mind. Uh, but at the very least, you, who, whenever you have a will, you need to tell the person who's in charge of it, who you've named as your executor or personal representative, where the original will is. Not just a copy, but the original will is. If you've given it to a lawyer or if your lawyer has kept it, you need to tell your representative the name of the lawyer, if it's a law firm, the name of the law firm, the physical location of the lawyer's office, the telephone number. You need to get a letter from the lawyer's office saying what is the procedure that they want used to retrieve your will. You may want to tell them or authorize them in writing by giving them the name of the person that you have named to be the personal representative and say in writing, I authorize your this or what are the things that you need to put together and you need to make arrangements for if for your family. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip to the end of my list because I have a long list here because otherwise I may not get to it. One of the, because you've heard me say, you know, the importance of having a statement from each uh, bank account, the importance of having copies of all deeds that you may have, um, the importance of having retirement account statements, life insurance policies, and beneficiary designations for each. I recommend that you also have a copy of your homeowner's policy for your home, the title and registration of your car. And, your, and a copy of whoever, you know, wherever you have your car insurance for any car. You let have something in writing that says where your safety deposit box is, the name of the bank, the physical location of the bank, the number of the box, the key, and where it is. I want to talk also and, and, and recommend that you also have specific information about burial 
uh, and funeral arrangements. And let me explain. If you have already paid for your burial plot, it's important that your family have either a written statement. I do a lot of burial directives for my clients that says, I want to be buried or I have paid to be buried in, you know, such and such a, uh, uh, you know, burial place with the name, the address of the, of the burial place. The, uh, each one has a different way of uh, identifying. You know, some have them by names of gardens or so on like that, or some simply have spaces lot numbers, parcel numbers, and so forth. But whatever it is, it's important that you have somewhere, preferably in the same three-ring binder, a copy of the contract, preferably, and even if you can't find the contract, at least a written statement that says, this is where I want to be buried. If you want to be buried, if you've already paid for your spouse to be buried and they are buried there, and when you bought that plot, you paid for your own or at least another slot, it is good to say so and to, and to be very specific about it so that, you know, if you die, or I should say when you die, those that are going to be responsible for bearing you know and can take this information to the location that you've already paid for. Used to be that you could enter into a contract with funeral homes to pay for your funeral services ahead of time. Sometimes you buy a, a life insurance policy with the general home and you pay for the services, uh, the casket, and so on. And the only thing left would be to pay for flowers and sometimes cars. Okay? Um, I've been told lately that some funeral homes are no longer offering those contracts because the services may, you know, the price of the services apparently can increase and they no longer want to be bound by these old contracts. But if you if you have one, if you've already paid for it, put it in writing and, and if possible, put a copy of the actual contract, even if it's years ago, particularly if it's years ago, in your three-ring binder in, the, in, in a sleeve where somebody can find it. If you are in a military and you want to be buried in a military cemetery, you must have your discharge papers and a pro and, and something in writing. It's wise to have something in writing as to where you want to be buried, okay, and what the procedure is. Um, if you belong to a sorority or a fraternity or you are a member of Masons or Eastern Stars, Many of these organizations, all of the fraternities and sororities, the major ones that I know of, have particular services and rituals that they perform when you die. And this is available whether, you, I think at least, whether you're active or not. Uh, the Deltas have an Omega Omega service uh, that they did when my mother died. Uh, and although she hadn't been active in a long time, you know, so... If this is important for you, I know the Masons have it, I know the Omegas have it, I know the AKAs have it, and so on. So if, if you are a member or you were a member of these organizations and you would like to have that done at your funeral services, identify 
a person or a chap and or a chapter, and I mean by name, telephone number, physical or mailing address, or nowadays online, you know, let your family know in writing, when I die, this is who you contact. If, you know, if they know, you know, you have a good friend, a, a male friend who's in queue with you, or, you know, if you continue to be active, then presumably, but I don't like presumptions in this, put it in writing, say contact so-and-so, work with them to make the arrangements so that at my services, the Masonic rituals are followed, the Omega Omega services are followed, or whatever it is that you want, get that, put that in writing so that your family knows and it can be done. Otherwise, they may not know, especially if your children don't even live near you. You know, they don't even live, they live in a different state, a different place. They have their own homes, their own families. They may not be a part of your organization. Um, and so they don't, they don't know who to contact or how to do it. So put that in writing and put it where they can find it, okay? Got to go back to break, but when I come back, I want to talk to you about burial directives, particularly when you want to be buried in another state, This and especially if you want to be buried in another country, because I'm getting more and more clients who are from other countries, and they their belief system requires them to take the body of their loved ones back to their home country. You've got to make those arrangements, preferably ahead of time, and you've got to put the money aside where that can be done. And it is so expensive to do either of those, whether it is you want to be buried in another state from where you live, or you want to be buried in another country from where you live. I want to talk to you a little bit about those things as well when I get back, because it's something that you just need to take care of, put it in writing, make sure the money is there, and then let your family know, and then it's done. You know, that's all you have to do. But it's important to do these things, especially while you're sick, well, blah, 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 and then it's done, you put it... You tell your kids, this is this is where I have all my stuff. This is what you're supposed to do. And it's in writing. Don't just tell them. Put it in writing. This is where you go to get this, in this box under my bed like my aunt did or in this place on my bookshelf like mine is. You know, at least they know that's where you go to find this out and what needs to be done, okay? When I come back from break, I'm going to be a bit more specific about what I have seen and I have helped clients do when they wanted to be buried in a family cemetery, for example. A lot of us are from Texas, Louisiana, you know, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, and we want to be buried in those places or where your family is buried at. There's some specific things that you got to do to make that happen, okay? It doesn't just happen. And a lot of times our children have absolutely no clue as to what or how to do it, okay? Things that you need to know and do to secure your legacy and to make sure that your assets are distributed in the easiest, quickest, and most economical way at the time of your death. 
today I'm trying to give you practical tips on the kinds of information that you need to put together, preferably in writing, and just put it in place where your family or your loved one or whoever it is that will probably be responsible for or in charge of taking care of the distribution of not just your assets, but also your funeral and so on like that. Right now, I, I, I was trying to, right now I'm, I'm giving you information, particularly with reference to burial arrangements and funeral arrangements. I've had several clients who have told me that they want to be buried in their family cemetery. Okay, and that cemetery is in a different state. It takes a lot of effort and arrangements to do this. Okay, and I only know this because I helped a client do it once. Um, number one, you have to find a funeral home that knows how to do this. Not all funeral homes are accustomed to doing this. So it's a wise idea to find a funeral home that has done it before and preferably either has a relationship with a funeral home in the city where you want to be buried or the county and certainly in the state it's best because the transportation of bodies uh, is is a is is regulated quite uh, quite closely and so you, it's not like a package exactly that you can just ship there's certain things that have to be done. <clears throat> and again, I just found this out because I had a client who was making these arrangements. So let's say you want to be buried in South Carolina and your, your family has a, a family cemetery like many families do. Um, and so what you may want to do is to start by contacting the funeral home where you want to be buried, asking them what would be the necessary arrangements that would have to be made in order for your body to be buried there. And they can give you, hopefully, they will know what arrangements have to be made. Because the way I understand it worked and the way it works for this other lady, or at least the arrangements that we made, I don't and she did yet, but we made all the arrangements. Her, she selected a funeral home here in the, I've forgotten if it's, I think it's D.C., but D.C. or Maryland. That funeral home got in touch with the funeral home where she wanted to be buried. They told them exactly what was needed. They t gave her a price uh, for receiving the body, uh, and taking it to the cemetery, they had to be, because she wanted it, her family was there. She wanted to have a service here, and she wanted to have a service of some kind, not as elaborate, in her hometown. So there needed to be a church that she selected, and the arrangements were made first here in D.C. or Maryland, wherever it was or the funeral home to get her body, perform the services, get the casket, and then have the service here. 
in the church that she wanted. And then that funeral home had to make arrangements, very special arrangements, to have the body transported. And again, it, it's very well regulated. So you need somebody or something, a company that knows what they're doing. Uh, it's not like regular cargo. Um, but they then would transport it, the funeral home in the, the state where she wanted it to go, that funeral home would meet and pick up the body, take it to their facility, have it available and take it to the church that she wanted to have a service in, and then take it to the place where she wanted to be buried. So as you can imagine, those are specific arrangements that have to be made. So I'm recommending that if that's what your wishes are, you put those arrangements in writing, get it taken care of. Uh, most people know the names and quite often the people who are, you know, the funeral home usually is the same person, the same family for generations, and those arrangements can be made, all right? But they need to be made ahead of time. And money needs to be put aside or identified, money that is quite easily and quickly available to pay for it because it's expensive. Now, if you think that's expensive, more and more of my clients are from other countries. And if your wishes, whether religion, culturally, or just your wishes are that your body be taken back home, to your home country, it is even more expensive and more difficult to make those arrangements. And I've had several situations, families and probates and so on, where this was actually done. And I'm stunned at the cost and the complexity of the arrangements. And I'll just share a little bit from the several actual situations that I've been a part of. You have to make the usual arrangements right here for the body to be picked up and taken to the funeral home in question. Once that body is picked up and taken to the funeral home, if there's going to be a service here, then of course it's the usual, take it to the church or have the services at the funeral home. And that is done. But then it has to be taken back to a funeral home that has the facility to store or keep the body for a longer period of time than is usual. Sometimes, especially during COVID, I had one family where the body was kept for six months because they just could not. The country was closed. They could not get that body into the country. They, nobody was going into the country, okay, at the time. So you see why it's very important that if your culture, your religion, or just your personal desires are that your body be taken back to a different country, another country, it's extremely important that you find a funeral home that will provide that service that will hold and store the body for the time that's needed, 
that has the arrangements and knows how to make arrangements to fly the body on a airline that is allowed to do this. Uh, in the two instances that I know of, I think both times it went on an airline from that particular country that flew here back and forth, okay? I don't know if, well, I'll just leave it there. But you have to make arrangements with an airline that is authorized and is willing to transport a body <clears throat> from this country to the intended country. Once it's in that country, a funeral home has to meet. This all has to be arranged ahead of time. The a funeral home has to, in the country, in in the area of the country where the body is to go. The body has to be met, picked up, and transported to the location where it is to be buried. And then arrangements have to be made there for whatever services are desired. And then for the burial uh, plot to be prepared, for the services to put the body in the ground, and then, you know, for the headstone and so on like that to uh, be erected. All of this is extremely expensive. So if that is your wishes or are your wishes, get it in writing, make a notation, not just a notation, but an explanation for the family of exactly who, what funeral homes will do this, what airlines will do this on both sides, okay? What the approximate cost is, it's going to be approximate because it's going to probably go up the longer, you know, it is, but you, you shouldn't be in any rush to die, okay? So so whenever, but at least give your family in writing the names, the telephone numbers, the email or websites of the, the uh, uh, companies that are willing to do this, are able to do this, the airlines and so forth, and then make arrangements to pay for all of this. This can easily reach $20,000. Easily. Sorry, I spent so much time on not a very pleasant subject, but an important subject, I thought, to do at least one program on the kinds of things that you need to put together for your family, particularly if you want to be buried in a place not where you live or in another state or another country. Um If you have any questions about this or any other part of estate planning, a will, a power of attorney, a deed, a medical directive, what a trust is, uh, how they work, when you might use them, um, they're certainly very important, but they're not necessary for everybody. They have their place. They're really good if you want privacy. They're really good if you want to be um, uh, if you want to hold your property for a period of time after your death, uh, and other and for people to benefit from them, um, that may not it may not be wise to give all the money or all the property to them uh, right away, either because they're minors or because they're immature, or they may have habits or ways that are not conducive to maintaining or sustaining property. Um, 
for those of you who have more significant wealth, uh, and by that, anything over 300000 in assets, a lot of times the banks and the trust companies are willing to act as your trustee or successor trustee uh, to administer your trust after your death. And when they do, they do not charge you anything until after you die, and they start to actually act. So that's an option that should not be overlooked uh, if you are concerned that either you don't have anyone or perhaps your first, maybe you only have one person, one or two people, but for example, you may have a son and a daughter, but you really are trying to benefit your grandchildren who may be their children, but if one of them died, you know, then who's going to be in charge? Well, trust companies, banks, uh, your big brokerage houses, uh, Fidelity, Ameriprise, Vanguard, um, they all have trust companies that will uh, invest, reinvest, administer, and distribute your property to your beneficiaries according to the terms of your trust. So that's an option for you to think about and to explore with your attorney um, as, as an alternative or as an option as successor trustees. Um, more and more, I'm having people who may have one or two children, adult children, and they don't have grandchildren. And so if their child died, uh, who would be in charge? And where would the money go? Because that's the other part that you, you have to say, if your child dies before you, then who gets the money? And might be another child, a grandchild, niece, nephew, brother, sister, and or charity. A lot of people have charitable intentions, but it can be whatever you say. Your money, your assets, your property. <clears throat> but that being said, you have to put it in writing in a legally enforceable way or the court will decide, according to written law, who gets what and in what proportions. Uh, and it may not, in fact, it usually is not what you want. Um, it's very important that you do this yourself. So act now. Get your lawyer to do your will, your trust, your power of attorney, your medical directive. If you've already done one, and it was 20 years ago when your child, your children were young, please come back and let us do another will for you or update your will. In fact, if your will is more than five years old, I would recommend that you have it reviewed. Your power of attorneys and medical directors are more than five or six years old. Have a lawyer review them for you, please. Uh, there are a lot of new things that are in place now. Uh, one thing in particular, online banking. The banks want to see that in the power of attorneys now. Five years ago, we didn't have it in power of attorneys. It was something new, and it wasn't such a big deal. Now it is huge. And so they want to see where you specifically authorized your agent, your attorney, in fact, to do online banking with your bank account. Okay? Um it's important that this stuff be in order. It's part of taking care of business. So 
just do what you got to do, you know, and then, and then it's done. Uh, although you hear me talk about it, once it's done, it's done. You, you put the documents wherever you want them to be. You give copies to your children if you want or whoever is going to be in charge of taking care of this for you. And you just go and live your life the way you want to. You can always change these kinds of documents. You can always change your will, your power of attorney, your medical directive, and so on like that. You can make changes to it. It must be done with the right formality. It has to be witnessed and so on like that. But you can make changes to it. And that's why I say just do an update of it. Do an update of it. But certainly if your will, your power of attorney, if your will was done more than five years ago, it's probably wise to have it reviewed. If anyone that you name to be the personal representative, executor in that will has died or moved away or you no longer have the same relationship with, you want to make changes. Um, If you named your sister or your brother to be the beneficiary of your life insurance policy, like a lot of people did, because they would be able to take care of your children if you died, please go back and make a change in that if your children are alive now. The insurance company is going to pay it to your brother and sister. Whether they're alive or dead, that money may not ever get to your children. So be careful with that. Update your documents, but also update your beneficiary designations. If you are divorced and you have not updated your insurance beneficiary designation so that your now divorced wife or husband is no longer the beneficiary named, you need to do that. You really do need to do that. And you have to do it in writing. And when you do it, keep a copy of it in your personal legal records. That's important. If your children have grown up now, name them as the beneficiaries on your life insurance policies. Don't keep your sister or brother as a beneficiary on it. If you went to work and you named your parents as a beneficiary when you were 18 years old, and you never changed it, although you're grown with children and married and so on like that, please get those beneficiaries updated. That's important stuff. So do this, take care of it, then it's done. Put it in writing, keep it where you need it and where somebody can get to it. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. Give me a call at 240-638-2828, We'll be glad to send you the packet of client information forms and so on for you to fill out to get started. Return to us, and we'll get started getting your documents in order. Have a good day, and please do still stay safe. A woman will sell her precious